As we turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, let me apologize. There are no notes this morning. (laughs) There are notes, but they are not here. This morning I made a change in the notes on the computer. I wanted to change one word, so I changed one word, printed it out, and then as I ran out of the house, I left it on the computer. So that one word is support. It's the next S word. If you've been paying close attention, we've looked at, in Hebrews chapter 2, looking at the humanity of Christ, we've looked at suitable siblings, savior, substitute, and then this morning, support. The outline for this morning, there will be three A words. And then after that, toward the end, there'll be four P words. <laughs> That's really the only outline you need. Okay. So we're looking at the fifth S word, which will be support. And then we'll look at three A words and four P words. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Father, as we come to your word, we give you the glory. Thank you for getting us through last year, Lord, with faith in you. And we pray this next year, Lord, that we would have even more faith in you, trust you even more. And we pray now as we study your word, that you would use your word, these ancient inspired words, to open up our hearts to do what that song that we sang said, to really do a a deep work in us, as Hebrews 4.12 says, your word is alive and active. And so we pray we do that deep work in our hearts, Lord. Do the work that needs to be done, even this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Though I am not a doctor, I want to give you some advice when you go to the doctor or to the dentist. And that is, when you go to the doctor or the dentist, they may ask you when you walk in, what is your pain tolerance? Have you ever been asked that by the doctor or dentist? What is the the pressure point on a scale of 1 to 10 where you say, that's really painful, I, I can't take that? I would recommend never say something like even 1 or 5, especially not like 8. Normally when I go in and they say, the dentist, the doctor, they'll say, what is the pressure point of pain that you can take? Negative 100. That's that's what I can take. It does astonish me. I'll go to a dentist and they'll ask me, and he'll have this big, huge needle. So how much pain can you take? Negative. I, I want Novocaine rubbed on my gums and over my whole head over my whole body before you stick me with that needle. It's, it's like a sword. Yesterday, I had this cyst. I, have, I had to have Duran, and the nurse turns around, and I, I thought she had a sword in her hand. She's like, what is that? <laughs> she, she went and changed needles. <laughs> What's the pain level that, that, that you can take? <laughs> it's just funny to me. When it comes to being tough with pain, I don't like pain. (laughs) There is a certain amount of pressure 
with pain that we can take or, or not take. And probably I think ladies have a higher pressure point with pain than men, usually. How does that relate to our chapter this morning and our verse, verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 2? Compare it to temptation. There is a pressure point with temptation that we can take. There's an amount of, of temptation that we can be faced with, that we can be forced with, that that we can endure before we say, uncle, before we say, that's enough, I give in to that temptation and, and I sin. What is the pressure point of your temptation where you say, I've had enough, I, I can't take that? Well, this passage this morning, we'll be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ and his pressure point for temptation he never, 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 ever gave in. As far as pain goes, I'm very quick to say, I'd like to have pain medication, please. <laughs> I can't take that. that, that that's, that's too much. Well, for Christ, regarding temptation, he never, 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 ever gave in to temptation. Ever. Ever. And because of that, that's why verse 18 says, He's able to come to the aid of those who was tempted. He was really tempted, and because he never sinned, Hebrews 4.15 says, because of that, then he's able to come to the aid of those who are really, really tempted. The amount of temptation, the pressure of it, would have been so intense because he never gave in, it would have been off the charts. For that reason, he's very able to sympathize with us and to come to our aid. That's the, the main idea of the sermon this morning. Now, the main idea of this whole passage that we've been looking at, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 to chapter 2, verse 18, is that since Jesus Christ is better than human tradition, we need to focus on Christ so that we don't drift away into danger and ultimately into hell. For these Hebrews that were believers, or at least they had professed Christ, some were in danger of falling away because they had never truly trusted Jesus. They were being tempted to trust angels more than Jesus. And so here the Spirit of God is writing them and is encouraging them and instructing them that Jesus is better than angels, chapter 1, because he's God. And then chapter 2, 5 through 18, because he's fully human. Trust Jesus more than angels because Jesus is fully God, but also now because of the incarnation, he's fully, truly human. And we saw first in verses 5 through 8, just briefly, this was explained. And then 9 through 18, it's beautifully elaborated on. And that's when we got into these different S words. And we've gone through all of them. And now we're in verse 18, where the Spirit of God is still teaching these Hebrew believers and us about Christ being fully human. And so we need to have a greater value for and on Jesus in human tradition. Here the example is angels. Last week it was because he's our substitute. This week it's because of support. He supports us. Now... I'm going to read this verse again, 
But I'm going to read it from the NIV. I can read it from the Christian Standard Bible. I can read it from the ESV. I could read it from the King James Version. I can read it from the New English Translation. And I think those translations are better than what the New American Standard has. Normally, the New American Standard is a little bit better. But I think in verse 18, the NIV and the ESV and these other translations are actually better. So let me read the New American Standard again, and then I'll read the other version afterwards. Here's a New American Standard. For since he himself was tempted... And now what she has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, here's the NIV. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The emphasis of the Greek is that he suffered when he was tempted. The word tempted in the text, in the Greek text, is actually a participle that's modifying the word suffered. Suffered is a finite verb being modified by having been tempted. The, the grammatical idea is that Jesus really suffered when he was tempted. Because of that, he is able to come to the aid of those who also are being tempted. Now, with that in mind, I mentioned that there would be three A's and four P's. So I'm going to give three sentences, and each one would begin with an A, for us really to press into and seek to understand this verse, because this verse is tremendous. It's incredible if we can get our, our heads and our hearts around it. Because it's talking about that Christ suffered when he was tempted. Because of that truth, He's able to come to our aid and help us when we're tempted. Are, are you ever tempted? Certainly, we're always tempted throughout the day, all of us. Last night, I was trying to print off this sermon, and instead I printed off 25 copies of my wife's newsletter. And that made me really, really, I was livid in my heart. <laughs> How could God do this to me? I'm wasting ink and paper. We can be tempted by all kinds of things. That, that was a silly temptation. And I gave into it. Got angry. And th that was not righteous. That was not right. We're all tempted. But Christ, this verse is saying, because Christ was really, really, truly, authentically tempted, he can really, truly, authentically, effectively, not only be our propitiation, but he can even come and help us in our time of need with temptation. So first, the, the first A is arm yourself. Arm yourself with the knowledge that since Jesus Christ was authentically tempted and always overcame them, he can authentically help you. Since Christ was authentically tempted, he can authentically come to you and help you and your temptation. We've heard before that knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And in a sense, that is true. The more true knowledge we have, the more freedom and courage, boldness, even capability that can give us. That's why we have the book of Colossians, even the book of Hebrews, but 
You can look at especially in Colossians and Ephesians where first part of Ephesians, first part of Colossians will give a lot of knowledge and it gives application. But that's true of the whole Bible, even the book of Hebrews. Even here, we'll see doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And then you see in chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus. And then you see doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And then verse 12 of chapter 3, take care, brethren. You have knowledge, which helps us to understand who God is, who Christ is, who we are, what God expects, who the enemy is. Once we have that knowledge, we're better equipped and able to operate in this sphere of, of truth. For example, that's why we have 2 Timothy 1.7 for believers. The Bible says, For God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. That knowledge is the sphere that we operate in. We operate in the sphere that we're new people, that we have a resource of power, love, and self-discipline. We operate in the sphere of this lordship of Christ. And here, we have more knowledge that can give us power, strength, courage, and it can set us free. And that's even, if you look at verse 18, this is even the, the logic of the grammar. And the four in verse 18 is there in Greek, gar, G-A-R. That is there, and it's connected to verse 17, elaborating and explaining further this idea that he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made like his his siblings, not just sheep, but in Christ and his love also were his siblings. We had to be, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. How did he become a merciful and faithful high priest, able to atone for our sins? Part of this is grounded, because of the word for, and the fact that he was also tempted. Jesus Christ was and is able to be our merciful and faithful high priest and toned for our sins because he is the spotless lamb of God. But to be the spotless lamb of God, he had to face and undergo what? Temptation. And he did it in such a way that with every single temptation he faced, he was always Sinless. He always overcame every single temptation. Because of that, and that's what it says again in Hebrews 4.15, it says, though, without sin. And so verse 18 is saying he can be a merciful and faithful high priest, not just because he sat up in heaven on a throne dictating orders down to us, but rather he became very, very, very human and underwent such temptation that here is described as suffering. He really authentically faced uh, forcible and fierce temptation that he always overcame. That's the grammatical logic of this word for and verse 18. But even furthermore, in verse 18, there is three words that the, it's N-O-G-A-R, which is basically, you could even, some versions would translate verse 18, the, the very beginning of it, and as much as. And what I'm saying is that there is such a grammatical, uh, logical connection with verse 17 and 18 that it's really seeking to get us to understand that 
for us to have an effective propitiation that really atones and covers our sin, that he had to really, truly face temptation and had to every single time overcome it. And that is 100% true. He faced temptation and he overcome it. He overcame it every single time. And so then he can be our effective propitiation, but also then he can really, truly, really, truly come to us and aid us when we are tempted. And the, the, the grammar of this is saying that in verse, in verse 18, even this word since, it's not the, it's not an if then, but it's close to an if then. For since he himself was tempted, then he's able to come to the aid. Because he suffered when he was being tempted, he really went through the grind when he was being tempted. Then he's able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. I think we can think of it this way. What is your score at putt-putt golf? Your your average at putt-putt golf. My average at putt-putt golf per hole I'm probably like a par 12 at putt-putt golf per hole. So you would not want me to teach you putt-putt. You wouldn't want me to be your golf teacher. If you really want to be a good golfer, who do you go to to learn golf? You go to a golf pro. And they can really teach you how to play golf well. Or you can think of it as a doctor. So let's say you go see a doctor. And I'm using some doctor Images because it talks about he's able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. If you went to see a doctor, and let's say he was 400 pounds overweight, and when you walked in, he had a big cigar in his mouth. Just blow smoke. Then you look around the room, and he has a six-pack of Budweiser on his desk. Would you be, I finally found my doctor. This is where I want to be to get well. And, he, you know, he's not, it's not that he's a medical doctor. He's a wellness doctor. He has a DO. You know, he's natural medicine, and he's also combining it with modern medicine. You know, he's doing all that. But he, you know, he's not really practicing his, you know, he, he's going to have a heart attack probably in two days. W- would you just be thrilled to have him as your doctor? Yes. I want to have him as my doctor. That would not be wise. Or even in in self-defense. If you're going to take a self-defense class, would you want to learn from somebody that's never, ever, ever defended themselves in real life? Ever? Ever? They they wrote a book and they watched a video. (laughs) I would teach you, I can teach you self-defense, like two moves. You want somebody that's been there, that's done that, and that's overcame, right? You want the best doctor, right? You want the best golf player if you really want to learn how to play golf. You want somebody that can come to you and say, you know, your swing is all wrong. (laughs) It's all wrong. Here's how you do it. The same with those other illustrations I mentioned, it's the same thing here in verse 18, is that we want somebody that didn't just do a pretty good job with temptation. We want somebody that overcame every temptation that can come to our help. That is, we don't want just somebody that can come to us and say, oh, Tom, I love you so much. You're such a good boy, man. I love you. 
I want somebody that, that will say and can say, I love you and I can help you because I beat every single one. Not just one that has sympathy, which Jesus does. I have sympathy for you, but I can also give you the strength and even show you how to overcome them. I'll give you sympathy. I'll give you strength. And also I can give you an example. I can give you all these things. That's who Christ is. Because Jesus authentically was tempted and overcame them. Not only can he offer an effective atonement, but because he went through the ringer and the temptation grind and overcame them all, he can help us better than anybody else. Jesus can. There's a second sentence. It's a question that begins with A. Answer this question, though. Since Jesus Christ was really God and he was not fallen, then how could he be really, really tempted? We've said that Jesus, that Jesus Christ was authentically tempted, truly tempted, but he's also truly God and unfallen, virgin birth, you know, virgin conception, no remaining sin in him, no reigning sin in him then how can he be truly, authentically tempted? And this has been a question and a conversation and a discussion for over 2,000 years. And we need to talk about it some this morning, and then we'll talk about it also a little bit later in the book when we get to verse 15, chapter 4, verse 15. But we need to discuss it here too because it says he was tempted. So let me give you uh, three three answers to this. Number one, because the Bible says he was tempted. <laughs> the Bible says he was tempted. So it says here in verse 18, he was tempted. It says in chapter 4, verse 15, but one who has been tempted in all things without sin. Even... Matthew chapter 4 talks about the temptation of Christ. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, we have to understand that temptation does not necessarily equal sin. It's not that these temptations arose out of this fallenness or sin in Jesus. He had no sin. These were temptations that were brought forth from the outside of him. They could have pressed into his thinking because Jesus had the natural human thoughts and, and affections and desires as we all do, though not sinful. But these temptations would have arisen, would have been forced upon him from the outside. Not out of any kind of fallenness in him because he had no fallenness. But even for you and I, those temptations that we don't listen to, that, that we step away from, that we say no to, having this object or thing that we desire in front of us, that itself is not sin. It's when we listen to it, when we get entertained by it. So the scripture says clearly 
and these different places that Jesus was tempted. And so we believe Christ was tempted because the Bible says so. But further, if you go back to our text, it wasn't just that he was tempted. It says, again, the other versions I mentioned, the the NIV and the ESV and these other versions translate it. And I think it's a better translation because he himself suffered when he was tempted. It's not just that he was tempted. It's that They were very severe and fierce. That can it can be described as there was suffering, a pain, um, anguish that arose during these occasions of temptation, not from within him, but from without. I think we could say he was more fiercely tempted than we ever have been throughout the course of his life. What do I mean? Well, go back to Matthew 4 and look at verses 1 through 10. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 10. That is, Jesus was tempted more often and to a more intense degree than we ever have been or will be. Why? Well, you can look at Matthew 4, verse 1. He himself, Jesus, is tempted by the devil, by the tempter himself. In person. And the devil says to him. In verse 8. That all the kingdoms. All their glory. You know, all, all the honor. All, all the wealth of the whole world. Is yours. You can have it all. If you just bow down to me one time. Just one time. That's a, a huge temptation. What, what would we do if Satan physically appeared to us and said, you can have anything you want, anything? Just bow down to me one time. You can have anything you want. All those desires you have, you can have them all. Just worship me one time. It was severe temptation, severe in the sense that the Lord Jesus, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he became hungry. Satan tempts him at least three times. Jesus each time says, no, I'm going to follow the Bible. It is written. The devil leaves him, and then the angels come, and they begin to minister to him because the Lord was so weary and, and so tired, physically because of fasting and also because of the temptation. Matthew 26, verse 38. Matthew 26 Verse 38, and we're not going to look at all of them, but remember even what Jesus said to Peter one time. When Peter said, Lord, forbid it, basically forbid it that you'd be crucified. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get get behind me. Who? Satan. Why? Because that was a type of temptation to, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You're the Lord of glory. Matthew 28, sorry, Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. This is right before he was betrayed and he is sad, depressed. 
Some versions talk about being despondent, but but not sinning. Really being tempted with this anguish of all that's going to happen. And he says, watch here and pray with me. And now Luke chapter 22 gives us even more data into what was going on. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And remember, this was when he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will. And even he said in verse 40, pray to the, he said to the disciples, pray that you will not enter into temptation. So here we we see where Christ was. We I think we're just giving highlights, glimpses into these temptations of of Christ, but it was so severe that here he's praying so fervently about what's going to happen that his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. He's working so hard and praying. Have you ever prayed? against temptation. You know that this is the will of God. This is what God clearly wants me to do based upon his word. Jesus, of course, he's the Messiah. He's God. He would have had Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. He knows what God the Father wants him to do. He's praying so much. It's like he's just bleeding, gushing out. It's just he's working so hard in prayer against temptation. It's just fervently hard, fierce work of prayer. Because the amount of temptation not to go to the cross. I think this, to a degree, brings out this idea of because he himself suffered when he was tempted. That is, when he was tempted, he didn't go, oh, I have a little bit of pain. I have a a, a little bit of of anguish because I'm saying no to the devil. And maybe you say no to a temptation three, four, ten times and... What, how, you know, sometimes you say no to temptation and it goes away, but sometimes you say no to temptation and what happens? It gets stronger, more fierce, comes back even greater. And here, Jesus always was saying no. I imagine that's why he went off alone to pray in the wilderness at times. He had to spend time with the Father. Here's what John Owen says, speaking of Christ. He suffered being tempted, sin not. He had the heart of a man, the affections of a man, and that in the highest degree of sense and tenderness. Whatever sufferings the soul of a man may be brought under by grief, sorrow, shame, fear, pain, danger, loss, by any afflictive passions within or in presence of forth, force from without, he underwent, he felt it all. Westcott, says this, quote, Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend upon the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. He who falls yields before the last strain. That is that Jesus Christ suffered more intensification of temptation than we ever will. He suffered in saying no to the temptation and never gave in even once. 
Now, third, underneath this idea of could Jesus really, 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 truly be tempted, we said yes, because the Bible says so. Secondly, it talks about that he suffered in temptation. But then even theologically, if we just step back and think about it for a moment, Adam was unfallen, and he was tempted one time. And what happened? He fell. So Adam unfallen, tempted one time, and he fell. Some angels, perhaps a third of them, knowing only the glory of God in heaven, apparently they were tempted one time and fell. And they were glorious and unfallen. And they fell. Now, we want to talk more about the temptation of Christ when we come to Hebrews 4.15. But we can see that for Adam and even for angels, though they were unfallen, they weren't God. And they fell. Jesus is fully a man, but behind that humanity, there was this backstop of he is the Lord of the whole universe. He didn't fall ever. Sinless. But we wouldn't say that the temptation that Adam faced, even though being unfallen, we wouldn't say that wasn't a real temptation. (laughs) So what I'm seeking to point out is that there are some beings that have been unfallen, but yet fell. And their temptation is real in a not an exact sense, but in a similar sense. The temptation of Jesus was very real because he was very human. Though also very God. I think there are some illustrations also that we can use that I've heard of. You can think of a dam and behind it is water. And if there's a river that's flowing into that dam and they don't open up the spillway, what's going to happen? Do you know that my uncle, I've, I've talked to before about my uncle and his creek behind his house, I think, at times, and he had the alligators in there that we used to swim with. True story. One day, his house and all the houses there got washed away. You know why? Somebody didn't open up the spill gate on the dam. And the water got too much for that dam, and what happened? (laughs) Or think about a balloon. If you take a balloon and stick it on a nozzle, a water faucet, and just turn on that faucet? Can you just walk away and then come back like in a week and that balloon be as big as your house? It's going to what? It's going to pop. Why? It can't take all that pressure. It has a point where it, it gives. Well, if you think about Christ, he never gave in. Does that mean he didn't feel it? No, he, he, he felt the temptation more than, than any of us have. Now, just some brief, brief points. I, I can't get into these, but just things to think about. His situation was more pressurized than our situation. He only knew infinite riches of glory and harmony from all eternity. He was rejected by friends and family. You might think you're poor. Jesus lived in poverty. 
He was betrayed, denied, slandered, tortured, executed. Satan appeared personally to him to tempt him. He went through all of this with the mission coming to the earth to know that he would die on a cross for undeserving sinners that would not appreciate him and worship him like they should. And yet he did it with joy. Knowing all of that, then, we should have some understanding that the sheer weight of this pressure being fully human and not relying upon his deity. Normally, yes, fully God, never divested himself of his Godhead ever. But as Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, uh, verse 6, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Doesn't mean he gave up his godliness, but he took on humanity, came in the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of man, was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He came with this mission in mind. He came not to be served, but to serve. And what was at stake was the salvation. If he had sinned one time, he would have been not God. And the atonement would have been over. Probably the universe would implode and cease to exist. But he never gave in, not even once. There is, I think, in all of us, this temptation to say, but Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus actually may understand temptation more than you or I. Because he never gave in. He may understand more of the pressure and the weight and the, the force of that. That was the example of the dam and, and the water balloon, that, that, that force that just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. But he never gave in, ever. So I, I think then he can understand. There's a third sentence, statement I want to make, and it begins with another A. And that is announced Jesus Christ to yourself. The, the word for preach it's the Greek word, at least at least one of the words is announce. So to yourself, announce Jesus Christ. We have announcements before church starts or after it starts. One of the pastors will come up and make announcements. We should always be in a similar way making announcements to ourselves about who Jesus Christ is. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, talks about Paul says, I'm going to preach Christ, verse 2, and Christ crucified. We need to be preaching to ourselves who Jesus Christ is. This is why the book of Hebrews, in one sense, was written. In chapter 13, it talks about the book of Hebrews as an exhortation. It's a sermon of exhortation given to the believers, really, to preach through themse- to themselves. What is it, then, that, that we preach to ourselves about Jesus? First of all, this. He has the ability to help you. So you say to yourself, Jesus Christ, he's able to help me. When I'm being ferociously tempted, he can help me. He's able. It says in chapter 2, verse 18, he is able. 
Jesus is able. Chapter 7, verse 25 of Hebrews. Therefore, he is able to save those forever who draw near to God through him. You're familiar, of course, with Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. You're familiar with 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Now he is able to make all grace abound to you that always have an all-sufficiency for all things. You might have an abundance of grace for every good deed. We worship a God that is is able. Uh, Jude 24. We're familiar with Jude 24. Again, he is able. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Jesus Christ is able. He invented ability, invented power. Power and might and strength exist because Jesus Christ exists. He is able. We are all weak outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, we are not able. But he is able to help you. And in Christ, again, it's like in Timothy 1.7. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. And Christ himself, by his spirit, puts that power within us. But even he and his power is able, able to come to us and to help us. And so that, that's the first thing that we have to say. He is able. Have you ever... I have been caught in a temptation and said, you know, I, I just don't have the strength. I, I True. Outside of Christ, you don't. But in Christ, you do. And he himself is with you. And he's able. He has the power. Secondly, first we say, when we announce Christ or ourselves, he has ability. He's able. He has the strength. His might is in, incomparable. But then second, we say, Jesus Christ wants to help me. Did you know that Jesus Christ wants to help you? Look back at verse 18. For since he himself was tempted. Let me read the NIV. I think it's a little bit better. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. First of all, in verse 17, he's our merciful and faithful high priest. But here also he is able to help to help those who are tempted. It's the idea of merciful and a faithful high priest who is able to help. There could be a high priest, not Jesus, but there could be a an earthly high priest only that was fallen, that wouldn't be merciful, that wouldn't be faithful, maybe that could help, but wouldn't want to help. And, and would look down on you. Have you ever gone to somebody for help with, with your sin and, and temptation? And they just look down at you and think you're gross and disgusting? Has that happened to you? Do you think that would happen between Jesus and you? So this verse is saying that when you are being tempted, Jesus is able to come to your aid and help. And this word, look at verse 18, when it says he's able to come to the aid, that word for aid was a wartime word. It's the idea of a critical, urgent need. He's able to come and to help you. Helping ideas. Those that have a critical, urgent need, there's a person that runs on the battlefield, right? A medic. And they come running over to that man. They come running over to that woman. They come running over to that person. 
and there's bombs and there's bullets and there's blasts going on everywhere. And it's the duty of the medic. I'll lay down my life to save that person. Bombs, bullets, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go and help that person. And he doesn't get to that person and, you dummy, you cockroach, you're stupid, you got shot. (laughs) You're dumb. I'm going to go on to somebody else that's more worthy. Would the medic ever do that? Of course not. And Jesus is a much, 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 much better medic. Again, we can think of that illustration with Peter. When Peter was walking on the water, and all of a sudden Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to sink in the water, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him and pulls him up. Now, Jesus does give a slight rebuke. (laughs) Come on, have some faith. Don't be unbelieving, be believing. But at the same time, he doesn't let go of Peter. He helps Peter up out of the water. He saves Peter. Christ may give us a rebuke, but it's the rebuke to help us, and he wants to help us, and he will help us, he will help us, and he saves us, and delivers us, and as it were, embraces us, and pulls us up out of those waters. The Lord doesn't desert us. The Lord doesn't look on you or me when we're tempted and think, the fact that you thought that or did that, I'm out of here. Now, Revelation chapter 3 talks about the church at Laodicea, and, and he spits some out. He, Christ is spitting out those that are basically hypocrites and pretenders, right? Those, you know, false teachers, hypocrites, pretenders, but going to Christ and saying, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. This sin is horrible. It's my fault. I'm to blame. To blame. Lord, I, I'm a wicked person. Lord, Forgive me. Would you strengthen me? Would you even help me? The fact that I'm even tempted by this is is sick and despicable. Lord, would you help me? And this text is saying Jesus is not going to walk away from you. Go, yuck. He's not going to label you to be this filthy, disgusting person to keep away from. But rather it says here, he is able and is willing to come to you and to help you to cleanse you, to correct you, to change you, to give you what you need to overcome that temptation. That's a wonderful Savior. And he can do that because the the ferocity of his temptation was even greater than yours, but yet he never gave in. And so he's even more able to help you, not, again, not just... Like, I feel sorry for you and not just rubbing your back. Yeah, yes, I understand because I also gave into that sin one billion times. No, rather, I faced that sin a billion times and, and, and I never fell. It, it is wrong. But I can help you and I will help you with it because I never gave in. I love you. That's the kind of savior that we have. Now, then quickly, I had mentioned that there would be three sentences that began with an A. I gave you those. Now, just very quickly, four P statements. Because the, the question becomes, okay, but <clears throat> this, this A that, that he gives, this strengthening, this enabling, this, even this, this comfort, this relief, this lifting up, how do I get that? 
How do I lay hold of that? So just four little statements that have P in them. Number one, preach propitiation to yourself. Preach propitiation to yourself. What do I mean? Well, verse 17 says that he makes propitiation for his people. Have you ever played the game dominoes? And sometimes if you lay a domino, it it has to be matched by somebody. Well, at least how we play it, we would say, and if somebody matches it, we would say, satisfied. And it has to be satisfied. If it's not satisfied, I've forgotten what happened. I think everybody keeps doing dominoes until it's satisfied. Well, the wrath of God has been satisfied. So I'm, you and I should not have this attitude. I have to overcome this temptation so I can go to heaven. I have to overcome this temptation so I can stay within the peace and love of God. I have to not have to overcome this temptation and not sin so I can be justified. We can very quickly get into a works mentality. I I, I need to be godly because I, I love Jesus and because I want to glorify him. I, I can never be godly enough to go to heaven. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from my sin, not not my performance. Because what can happen, I can get into, I'm going to depend upon a works, human resource mentality. And so then I end up trusting myself and not the power of God or the power of Christ or the power of his cross. So first, when you're being tempted, preach the power of the cross to yourself. I've been forgiven. I'm under the grace of God and him, not in me, not in my performance. In Christ, I have redemption. Thank you, Jesus. Last night, I I laid down on the couch. I got mad. I I told Lisa, forgive me. I I got mad. I'm going to lay down on the couch. Lay down on the couch and just just prayed. Thank you, Lord. I'm forgiven. I confess that was wrong. I'm not going to get angry anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, I'm forgiven. Pete's propitiation to yourself. Second, proceed to prayer. Power comes through prayer. Power comes through prayer. John Owen, again, he wrote a massive commentary on Hebrews. The Puritan John Owen writes, quote, The great duty of tempted souls is to cry out unto the Lord Christ for help and relief. So when you're tempted, what do you do? Don't run from Jesus. Don't, don't have this attitude, I'm being tempted. Oh, this is so bad. It's so di-. No, it's so bad. It's so raw and disgusting. I'm running straight to Jesus. Run quickly. This is why Jesus told his disciples what in Matthew 26? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. So how do we get this aid, this relief, this strength to overcome this temptation from Christ? I I preach Christ to myself. I'm announcing Christ to myself. And so I say to to myself, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. For by grace we're saved. Thank you, Lord. But then I go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, please help me. And, And we see this even in chapter 4, verse 15, it talks about the Christ as being tempted, but without sin. And then in verse 16, it gives the command, let us therefore draw near and confidence to the throne of grace, where we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in the time of need. You, you can pray anywhere, anytime. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It can be, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. A third way, a third means to lay hold of this aid of Christ is preach the promises to yourself. These aren't new things. These are old things. Preach the promises to yourself. There's so many promises in the Bible. I'm just going to mention a few of them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said, I would never leave you and forsake you. Romans 8, 28, and he causes all things to work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But even in Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's an author named Ed Dowd who worked for BlackRock and was a statistician and a marketing guy. And in this book, he records that there are insurance companies that say that in some places the morbidity rate there in 2022 was 40% higher, not related to COVID. And that different people all over the world are freaking out. And then for myself, I've known a lot of people in the past year, three years, I think we all have, that have passed away and that have died. And then as you get older, (laughs) it's very common for people to die and pass away. What do we do with death? The reason why I bring this up is because it talks about it here in our passage in verse 14, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the the devil. There are some temptations, some things we do in order maybe if I do this, I can somehow push back that death. You know, if I have more money, if I have more security, right? But Philippians one twenty one says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so I preach the promises of God and Christ to myself. I can make, if I'm not careful, I can make even my computer and my printing and printing the wrong sermon notes. I can make that almost a life and death situation. <laughs> For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If and if I were to die, that could be the very best thing that could happen to me. I'd be of Jesus. And that would be awesome. And so I'm preaching Christ and his promises to myself. I'm praying to the Lord. And then I'm also going to the Lord and I'm reminding myself that I'm clean. Not because of me, but because of him. And then finally, I practice his presence. Practice his presence. Again, Matthew twenty twenty and Hebrews thirteen five both say he was with he is with you, he'll never leave you and forsake you. Matthew twenty eight twenty says, Jesus says to his disciples, I will I am with you always, and I would never leave you or forsake you. Christ is with us. He's with us by his spirit, he's with us in, in his omnipresence. He's also with us in a sense of there is no place in the universe where I can go and get away from Christ, where he can't help me. He's also with me in that sense. There, there's no place on earth, there's no place on the moon, and the known universe where I could be away where Christ can't see me, can't help me, can't minister to me. 
And so always I'm practicing to, to keep me accountable. I'm open and laid bare and before the eyes of Christ. But even when I'm being tempted, even before I blow it, that he's there with me. His peace, his presence, his power, his promises, they are always all with me. And these are just some different means and, and ways that we can lay hold of this aid that Christ gives to us. So then, Jesus Christ is here not to simply cause you anguish, but to aid you. He's not here with us and in his word and in his ministry to hinder you, but actually to help you. He's here to equip you and to encourage you to go forward in him and for him and for his glory. And as we wrap up this first section, really, in Hebrews, what we've learned is that better than angels, better than human tradition, better than religious, human, extra-biblical tradition is Jesus. Why is he better? He's fully God and he's fully human. And being fully human, he was fully tempted. Being fully tempted, he was able to fully overcome them. Fully overcoming all temptation, he was able to be the effective atonement for our sins who trust him. Being effective atonement for our sins, having been fully tempted, he's also able to authentically and fully help us in all of our temptations like nobody else. Therefore, this new year, let's resolve together as a church and individually to simply look at Jesus more. In fact, chapter 3, verse 1 says, consider Jesus. And chapter 12 talks about focusing your eyes on Jesus. Can you and can I make steps this new year, make a resolve? We're going to look even more, consider worshipfully look at Christ even a little bit more. And I think not just I, but the Bible guarantees that maybe your life won't change. That is, this life that you're in won't change, but it will change you. Life itself may not change. The circumstances of your life, the nuts and bolts of it, may not go exactly how you want it to go. But Christ can change you in your life. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't run from us, but that you run to us to help us. We thank you that not only are you Savior, but you're a substitute and you support us. You come along beside us to aid us and to help us. You don't simply rebuke us, but you rebuke us and then you comfort us and you equip us and you give us all that we need, Lord, forgiveness, cleansing, nourishment, a new power to go forward with you and for you forever. And so we give you the glory, Lord. For your sake, Lord, we pray these things. Amen.